Hello, and welcome to the Architect Debt Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Brady. Architect Debt is a podcast that illuminates the lesser heard stories of Women Plus in architecture and related fields. On today's episode of Architect Debt, we feature Dr. Tammy Hausman. Tammy is the founder and president of Hausman LLC, which is an agency that helps architecture and design professionals amplify their influence inside and outside of AEC industries. In addition to her role as president, she is a media specialist, expert communicator, art historian, and design aficionado. We start today's episode by talking about Tammy's background and how she worked as a marketer in an architecture firm, later established her own firm, how she won her first clients and learned to run a business. And then we transition to a feature segment called Doctor in the House, where Tammy advises on common AEC public relation questions, which include things like, how do I network? Does my firm really need to invest in PR? How do I reach my target audience and what message do I share? We also talk about topics like if awards matter, what publications have the most impact, and how much content is too much content. At the end, Tammy talks about what trends she sees rising in the AEC industries, and I also ask her what she wishes AEC professionals knew about working with her. If you're interested about what you hear today and you want to learn more, I've linked Tammy's LinkedIn as well as her company's website, LinkedIn, and Instagram in the show notes, so check those out. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Caitlin. I'm so happy you're able to come on. For our listeners, Tammy and I worked together years ago, and when I was thinking about guests that would be great to have on the podcast, I thought that your expertise in PR, especially for architecture, I guess all AEC companies, it would be great to tap your expertise. I was wondering if we can start with a little bit of your background. Can you talk about how you grew up and also your education experience? Yeah, I grew up in in Pittsburgh, which I guess isn't really an architecture mecca, but my mother was uh, is an artist and she went back to school when we were all teenagers. And so I spent a lot of time around her doing artwork and studying art history while we were growing up, which was really interesting because she was in college when I was, I guess, a preteen. And so that had a real a really big impact on me. We would go to buildings and she would talk about the history of these buildings. And so it was really interesting to be around someone who just really saw the world from an artistic point of view. So that was a big influence. And I went away to college. I fell into architecture, architectural history, really my second year of school through a course on postmodernism. And I thought, I have no idea what this architecture is, but it's really wacky and I need to know more about it. So that was really my introduction to architecture. So I studied semiotics and French in college, which is the study of signs and symbols and culture, which really means that you look at architecture as an example of the political context, you know, economic, social context. And not just from a formal point of view, which really appealed to me. And I did not, I thought about being an architect for a very short period of time. And then I realized that I really love to write and I love to research. And so I got a job. I moved to New York because everybody said you need to either need to go to New York or LA if you really want to know about architecture. Ended up in New York and got a job in marketing in an architecture firm. And that really started me on my whole career path 
essentially doing marketing and PR for architects. And when you moved to New York, were you specifically applying for jobs in architecture firms? Or it was happenstance that you ended up at one? I talked to anybody who would talk to me. And this was before the internet. So you had to pick up the phone and just call people and hope that they would answer you on the other line and and talk to you. So I just asked everybody I knew for recommendations and called everybody I knew and ended up with two jobs. One was at a community organization, one was at an architecture firm. Ended up getting both jobs, but took the job in the architecture firm. What did you do when you first started out at that architecture firm? Well, that's a, it's an interesting question because it was really uh, it was really at the beginning of marketing architectural services. It was much more loosey goosey than it is now, and I don't mean that it was people didn't know what they were doing. It was just a much more informal structure internally for firms doing marketing. It was not as formalized with you know job titles and positions as it is today. But essentially what we did was help with writing and pulling materials together and doing proposals. And I would be pulled on competition submissions to help with the writing. So it was really, it was really fun because every day was a little bit different. I didn't know what I would be working on, but people really saw me as a resource for award submissions. Hey, can you help us write this? Can you, you know, can you weigh in on that? And, and that was, that was really, that was really a lot of fun. So it was just a little bit of everything. Yeah, I think back in the day, though, architecture firms weren't allowed to advertise. I feel like it's rather new that an advertising process is part of an architecture firm's outreach. Yeah, there was a court case in 1977, Bates versus Osteen, and that was when that was decided that people could advertise. But before that, all professional services, architecture, law, doctors, no, nobody in professional services was allowed to advertise. And that changed in the late 70s. And so when I started in the late 80s, it was still slightly new and developed over the, you know, the next several decades. I'm sure too, as media and the internet has developed too, the, the marketing efforts have really just compounded in the outreach, the places you can reach and also the ways that you can reach people. It's very different. Mm-hmm. So when you were writing proposals and helping out when you first started, was there a specific type of architecture that your firm worked in or were was it more general? So you learned kind of how to speak to many different types of clients. My first job was at KPF. So at the time, they were doing a lot of corporate office buildings. So that was my entry into architecture. Of course, over the last three decades or more, I've worked on many, many different types of projects. But at the time, that's that was where I started. So then how did you transition after you first started? You grew in responsibilities and roles. And then how you ultimately started your own firm? Yeah, sure. I mean, as you learn more, you take on more responsibility. I think that's what people do or you hope you do. And, <laughs> and I was always interested and curious and wanted more responsibility, wanted to know more about the profession, but I also gained more confidence so that people saw me as a greater resource and came to me for my expertise, even when I was working in firms, because they knew that I could knew how to write a proposal. I knew how to get a project selected for an award, that I had good writing skills. So it was more about mastering the skills and then 
really building my network and my relationships with people. And I think that that was one of the key things was really building and maintaining those relationships because I've worked today with people that I met over 30 years ago. And it's always interesting to me because I was just happy that someone gave me a paycheck when I worked at KPF because I didn't really have what I thought were marketable skills, but clearly they saw something that you know they paid me a paycheck. <laughs> but I think that it's more just following, it was more following my passion and turning from marketing, which was doing proposals and all the materials that you need to get and win projects into public relations, which is about building firm's reputation. And so I, I moved into that because I had a chance to work with somebody preferred by somebody else and she was doing more on the PR side. And so I gravitated towards that. And at a certain point, I felt like I had learned as much as I could from other people. And I really felt like I wanted to run my own show. And that's when I took the plunge and started my own company. Okay. And so in the beginning, what services did your PR firm offer? Mostly I was doing media relations. So a lot of it was getting press for people. And then I also did a lot of writing because I had worked in marketing. So I had a lot of writing skills. And that was probably the core of my business for, say, the first you know, five or six years. What were some of the challenges that you faced going out on your own and starting your own company? I think everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I think the challenge is that I knew how to do the work and I knew how to get the work done. And I knew how to work with people because I had worked with partners at large firms and global firms. And so that didn't, that didn't scare me. In fact, I really enjoyed it. The hard part was I didn't know the first thing about running a business and I didn't ever at my jobs get that close to the way that a business operates. A, a little bit, I worked for a small PR firm before I started my own, so I had a little bit of a taste of it. But when you're in charge and you have to pay the bills and you have to pay employees, it's a completely different ballgame. So it was really, I think, a process of trial and error. I think it was talking to a lot of people and luckily getting a lot of advice from people. But the, but the work the work itself was not the issue. It was just all of the other pieces that you need to run, you know, run the machine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hear that a lot from architects where we're so good at designing and talking through ideas and conceptualizing. And then when it comes to the business side of things, that's where a lot of architects kind of start to panic. <laughs> Right. I remember my first office that I had, there was no furniture and sitting on the floor waiting for the phone company to set up the phone, that kind of thing. And it was cold. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No heat, no furniture. How did you get your first clients then? Did you start the business knowing that you'd have a few to get you through the beginning? I did. I had one client that came with me from my previous firm. And then I had other ones just developed. I'd met a, a, a company and, you know, a couple months into starting my own firm, they hired me uh, remarkably. And that was great. And they were a great client and they, you know, they were with me for six years. And then it, 
as I said, I had developed these networks of people in the industry. And I really thought that that was going to be the hardest part was getting clients. I think it was because I had been in the industry at that point for over 15 years that I had a real great network and people who either came to me or referred other people. That's so important too. You've talked a little bit before about setting up a network and maintaining that network and growing that network. Do you have any tips for people in the industry that maybe feel like they have a weak network or they feel awkward reaching out to people or they just don't know where to start? Well, I think that people are, are always willing to give advice. And I, I think that you reached out to me, other people reached out to me, right? I, I think that that's what I did when I moved to New York. You, I didn't have a choice if I wanted to be in this profession and I didn't really have a clear career path. There's no, there's no career path for people graduating with semiotic French degrees who are interested in architecture. There just, there just wasn't. So it was just a matter of calling people. I think it's even easier now with social media, with tools like LinkedIn. I even use that myself even today where I'll either reach out to people or people will reach out to me and I'll say, great to meet you. I've heard about you. Would you like to do a little chat over Zoom? Some people will respond and some people won't. So I think you can't, you can't be scared. And I think people are, there are a lot of people out there who are willing to give advice or at least have a conversation. So it's just realizing that there are tools there and that's what they're made for. And then I think, you know, there's nothing that beats in-person meetings, events, conferences, lectures. It's good to be seen and talk to people and Luckily, we can do that again. So I think that there's lots of ways to meet people. Just be curious and interested in what they do. And I think people will open up to you. Mm -hmm. Being curious is definitely where I come from with a lot of my network outreach, especially with the podcast. It's like I have all of these ideas and I want to learn more. So, And people are very receptive to coming on and, and sharing more about what they do just when you approach them from that that line of curiosity. You have a, a series on your website called Doctor in the House, which I think is very cleverly named. And basically it's asking questions from a client's perspective to your company. So I was wondering if we can run through a few questions. If I take on the persona of an architect or an architecture firm owner, asking you, isn't good work enough to get the word out about my firm? Why would I ever need to invest in PR? I would say there's there's not one answer to that question. I would say it's a yes and no. On the one hand, I think it's everybody's dream that you do a new project and everybody sees it and you have 10 potential clients who see that project and say, wow, this is an amazing project that you did, Caitlin. I want to hire you for an even bigger and better project. Of course, that can happen. You know, someone could see something and be very moved by it and find out who that you designed it and call you up. Then if you are, if you're doing interiors, however, you know, it's maybe someone, it's maybe a project that you can't see and maybe something, it may be a private project that is not open to the public. So then how do you tell people about that project? So there's, there's also a lot of, competition and someone could see your project and talk about a certain way, but doesn't allow you to control the message about what you want to say and what, what you want people to know. There's lots of great talent out there. 
And a lot of times they're working either with in-house people or, you know, consultants like me and they're promoting their work. So you need to just be out there and talking about your work because if you're not doing it other, you know, your, your peers are going to be doing it. And, and, you know, there are different ways that you can do it. And it's not about throwing everything at the wall and see what sticks, but it, I, I think because a lot more people have incorporated some kind of outreach into their marketing efforts, it's more and more important for you to be talking about your work. Mm -hmm. And so that public relations effort, can you just describe a little bit about what that entails? I talk about it using the term communications rather than say public relations, because public relations really to me means just press, which used to mean print publications. Now it's also digital and online publications. So that's that's definitely one aspect of it. And then you have the general press, like, you know, the New York Times, but you also have a lot of publications, what we call the trade publications. So if it's a school building, it could be an educational publication. If you're doing a residential building, it could be a housing publication. So you have many opportunities to talk about your work in many different kinds of publications. You also have different stories to tell for each project. So you could talk about a project from the design point of view. If it's a hospital, you could talk about the patient experience. You can talk about the sustainability aspects of a project. There are many ways to talk about projects. We work with a lot of firms to do thought leadership, so you can also write about a project. You can speak about a project. You can submit an award for a project. There's so many great opportunities. And then I didn't even mention social media. So there are many, many ways to do communications. And there's not just one way. So you need to find out what you think is going to resonate best with the people that you're trying to reach. And it doesn't have to be everything, but really try to figure out the, you know, the things that are going to be most impactful. That's a great point that architecture firms want to advertise their projects to potential clients and not other architects. What do you recommend when a client comes to you and doesn't know who they're trying to advertise to? Well, we work with them to figure that out. That's one of the first things that we ask about. And because otherwise it's really a game of 52 pickup. You know, you really need to know who your targets are. And that will, like you said, that will affect the language that you use, the way you describe a project, all of those things. You're, you're right on, you're, you're right on point there. And I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I love architectural jargon. I think you or I or anybody could use it just like, like an expert, but, but it's just not that effective when you're talking to non-architects. So we do a lot of work with our clients just trying to decode their language a little bit. <laughs> what is the most important message for either an architecture firm or an architect's branding? I guess maybe things for them to identify or to the message to get out to, to people. I don't know that there's one particular message. I do think that architects don't always talk about their value meaning that it's very sometimes as you were saying people speak in formal language and that may not be what a client is looking for not that clients don't care about aesthetics and what something looks like but they may care about 
attracting people to if you know maybe it's a museum they may want to get more museum visitors or maybe it's a school and they want students to be more productive or learn better or be in a healthy environment so it's really figuring out for different clients what those needs are I do think it's very hard for firms to differentiate themselves and there is a lot of language that we see over and over again, firms' websites and certain vocabulary that seems to repeat itself. So we try to help our clients develop authentic language. It has to really resonate with who they are, but it has to also be different and then also demonstrate the value and what the clients are going to get from working with this firm. And I mean, design is part of it, but it's not all of it. The other thing to add is that people are looking for a big vision and they are looking for people who are able to think broadly and solve big, big problems and come with big ideas. It's not, design is not a differentiator anymore. I mean, it is just to some degree, I mean, not every client's going to like every style, but I think it's the people who bring the big vision that are really compelling and have the most impact. So having a compelling story that both relates your firm or your personal values, as well as the value that the client is going to get from working with you. You're right. It's not just we can build four walls and a roof. Your competitors can also build four walls and a roof. So it's not just what you do, but it's also why you do it and how you do it. And I think that's a really important thing for firms to emphasize. That's very important. I'm sure people are scribbling notes right now (laughs) when they listen. More questions for the doctor in the house. Do you think that awards matter? I do. There are a number of reasons to do awards. Awards are good because they give you visibility. I think that they make the team feel really good when you get an award. The client feels really good. So there's a lot of like that, you know, feel good happiness sensation that comes from the awards, right? So, you know, it's like getting a sticker when you get an A, you know, when you get an A on your test, right? You got an award. I'm being a little bit facetious, but I, but, but also I think people forget that if someone in a firm, for example, wants to apply for their FAIA, you need those awards. Or if a firm wants to apply for one, a bigger AIA award, firm of the year, which many local, state, national, national has firm of the year that it's really good to kind of stockpile those awards. But there are also many awards programs out there. And so it's not just AIA awards. And I've seen a lot, I've seen some firms who just do many without really thinking about them. So I think, again, like anything else just needs to be targeted. But I do think that there's a lot of value, but it shouldn't be the end game, but it should be part of your outreach strategy. Yeah, have awards so that it shows that your firm has recognition, but don't go for every single one because then just kind of lose yourself amongst all of the the ribbons and the prizes. Right. And if you want to have international recognition, then then that's a good way to get known internationally by submitting for, say, international awards. Mm -hmm. So I have a couple more questions for the doctor in the house. There's a lot of changes in the media landscape right now. We're seeing newspapers aren't what they once were. Television isn't really what it once was, but TikTok is rising and social media in different ways. It's always changing. What, from your perspective, are the most highly regarded publications right now for companies in the AEC realm? 
I don't know if that I have just one answer to that. Again, I'm just going to say it depends. And, and some of it can just be that people want to be in a certain publication. For example, we have a lot of clients who want to be in publications like Architectural Record. And we work with Architectural Record all the time. And it's a great publication. It may not be the most client-facing publication, but because it holds such importance within the industry, it really is a benchmark for a lot of people. So I would say you know, that's a really good publication. But if you want a piece that's maybe focused on, if you want to highlight your, your sustainability or the social aspect of your work, then Metropolis might be an important publication for you because they really focus, you know, their slant is more on sustainability and, and, and social issues. So it depends. It is interesting that, you know, when I started, there were very few design publications or a couple of top print publications, and that was really it. So I think what's really interesting now is that there are some really wonderful online publications that do quality work and reach a lot of people because they're constantly sending out newsletters and blasting out the projects to people. So they have a lot of value because a lot of people will see them just because they're so active. I also think that sometimes they're overlooked, but also really important are the, the trade publications that I mentioned before, because they're reaching a very targeted audience. For example, we had a client that got into a healthcare publication, and because of that, they got an interview with a very prestigious client who saw them in this healthcare publication. And we also got the same project in a business publication. So the business publications too are real estate are also all important. And I, I really love digital publications just because they stay online. And if someone is Googling you, which you know, that's how we find out all of our information now, different publications give you different access to different audiences. And they're all important in their own ways. And so when we work with a client on a project, we're, we're always trying to figure out at the outset what is most important to them and who they want to reach. It sounds like the online publications have a lot of longevity because they're so easily found. So uh, I'll ask, I have, I think, one or two more questions for the Doctor in the House series. What do you do when your clients or your consultant partners are putting out information about a project that you all worked on, but they omit you from their media blasts? Well, we try to get everybody to work together on, on projects and include as much of the team as possible. It depends who's doing the omitting. Is it the, the architect? Is it one of the consultants? Is it you know, the New York Times? You know, there's always, I mean, I will broaden that my answer to say that they're always, unfortunately, omissions. And it's really challenging. It can be really challenging. It doesn't have to be. I'll start with the best way to avoid it. Is the best way to avoid it is if you're on a project and it involves a lot of people and it's a prestigious project, it's really good at the beginning to get everybody together and say you have, you know, you're not the prime on the project. Say you're the engineer or the theater consultant or the lighting consultant. It's really good to start making those connections before you know that there's going to be a PR push and see how you can all work together and also come with ideas. 
because it should be about everybody trying to get attention for the team. And that's really how I think it really is the most beneficial if everybody's aligned and everybody's working as a team. Really, you know, the more the merrier. And trying to make sure that all communications talks about all the people who've contributed to a project. And then if, if you are omitted, it's good to find out why that happened. Was it an, was it an oversight? I wouldn't go with, you know, a loaded gun, but I would try to, you know, I would try to find out what, you know, why did it happen and, and, and really have a conversation and see, was it an omission or was it, you know, really intentional? And hopefully it wasn't, but try to explain why, why your involvement is important. I think to avoid it, it's, really good to just get everything out on the table at the beginning of a project and not even wait until two weeks before a project opens and we talk about it. But it's it's a good it's a good question. Yeah, that's that's a great point to meet with all of the stakeholders at the very beginning and then also identify the people who if you're working with a contractor, for example, that person is probably not typing up the story of the project and gathering the photos, they're working with a team member who is business development team or whatever within that company. So it's good to know that person where I've run into that in the past. If you make that friendship, then you guys can work together on things. And it's almost like twice the output because they're churning their machine, but referencing you and then you're churning your PR machine and also referencing them. And it's it's great when you organize and can work together. Right. And I think what you said was really important What and what you said is that it should be mutual and that everybody should bring, bring something to the table, you know, so that everybody gets attention. Why not? Exactly. Okay. So my last question for the doctor is, is there such thing as too much content? I think there's such thing as too much bad content <laughs> or maybe, maybe, maybe bad is the wrong word to use, but I just feel like we're all so bombarded or not. I don't feel like that. We are so bombarded by, by content. We're just exposed to so much stuff. So I, I really think it's a question of quality over quantity. I do think something like if you post on LinkedIn, that can be a numbers game. So say you just finished a project and you post as a firm about the project, you want everybody in your office to be posting about the project because it's really just the more, you know, the more that it gets out there, the more people who are posting it, right, the more impressions it will get. But on the other hand, I think we are very content happy. I was just reading an article that talked about the difference between social networking and social media, whereas networking was really focused on then the way that social media started was to network people together and connect people. And now we're so focused on just sending out content and not all of it really that memorable, but it's just really a lot of it's eye candy and it's quick and it's fast. And then you move on to the next thing. So I think we're really starving a lot of times for good quality content. And I also like content that teaches people something, you know, what did you learn from this? What is new? What's exciting and not just the the me statements or, you know, this is so great because I designed it, but really what can someone take away from it? So I, I don't think it has to be a race to the bottom in terms of just spewing content all the time, but I do think we really need to focus on 
what is good? Is it targeted to the the people we want to reach? Can I teach somebody something? Is it well written? And that should really be the focus. So the long answer to your to your question. It's a long answer, but it's rich. It's not just when people think about getting their project out there, it's let's just paper it everywhere we can. And then you see it a thousand times and then that client will call. We put so much thought and time and care and love into this project. And then you put out you know, careful content that has that same message. Then the client sees that and goes, oh my gosh, they, they put so much thought into that and they can really think on that. And then they think about calling you rather than just being blasted with that mega image over and over again. So closing out then, uh, what do you wish that firm or organization leaders knew about how could they be easier to work with? I think that firm leaders need to understand that building a reputation takes time. It's one of those things where it, you know, it's not, it's not an overnight process. So a lot of people who are new to the game want instant gratification and yeah, you can send something out and maybe it gets picked up in a couple of publications. But as I said before, it's really about quality over quantity. If you think about the tortoise and the hare, it's definitely the tortoise. You can get, you know, maybe you can do a couple sprints, but really it's, it's something that you need to devote time to. You need to incorporate it into your business strategy. It's not something that is separate from good business practices and it's what most people are doing. So if you think about Design, it's really, you know, communications is sort of a layer on top of design. Design is the work that you do. And then this is the way that you mm -hmm. circulate messages about your work. And it's a really critical component of a visual practice to, to communicate clearly and efficiently and effectively about it. So it's not, mm -hmm. I think people see it as an other, like, or a luxury. And it really, if you look at other industries, this is, you know, it always surprises me because if you look at other industries, people don't question communications, they don't question PR, they don't question advertising. But I think for a lot of architects, it seems like they don't feel like it's necessary or it's just not, you know, a muscle that they flex all the time. So I think it's important just to see it as a good business practice. Mm -hmm. I think architects, we all spend a little too much time in studio in college. So it probably impacted uh impacted those skills maybe a little bit. Right. <laughs> but it's it's an industry where we all just hang out w amongst ourselves sometimes where it's it, it sometimes I feel like to to be a little bit more just think outside of just that architecture brain is really helpful because that's who we're working with ultimately. Well, right, and I would add to that 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 Architects aren't trained in communications, right? So you have training. I, I'm not trained as an architect. So it's, you know, I don't really expect the people we work with to be experts in it, uh, right? I mean, it's just, you didn't go to school for that. But there are people who can help guide you through the process. It doesn't need to be a big mystery. And I think it, it you know, it can be a little scary if you haven't done it before. Mm -hmm. So as an expert, what do you think, what, what are you projecting in terms of trends in the next 10 or so years? So are you asking about architecture? Are you asking about PR or both? Oh, maybe let's do both. 
So <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it up to you. Do you want to start with architecture first or PR? Um, we can start with architecture. That's fine. Um, I mean, I, I mean, actually, you probably know that better than I do. Um, but what I, you know, what I've been seeing is that there, I, I think architecture is at a really exciting moment. I've seen so many changes and there seem, seem to be so many more opportunities for people to collaborate together and a lot of blurring between, um, you know, between disciplines and lots of people involved in the process. So I'd love to see more and more voices come into architecture. I think um, the, you know, the impact of more women, you know, more diversity is only going to enrich the industry even more and really just add more input and more feedback into the whole process. So I think that's been extremely exciting. And then I hope that maybe, you know, this is a, a you know, my PR brain, but I really hope that, and it has, um, I really hope that architecture becomes more and more of a household name. I do think, I, I do think we're starting to see it. I think the rise of Starkitects, you've seen that a little bit, but I'd love to see more people who aren't in the industry to just have a better understanding and appreciation for architecture. Because one of the things that always fascinated me about architecture is that it's, it's, it's both functional and it's artistic, right? It's sort of, it's like functional art. And so, you know, there's really, an, it's more than just a need a, a warm place or a need an enclosed space or it, it's really, it really should make us feel good and make us happy. So I do think that it's starting to, people are starting to understand it more and raise their awareness of architecture. And I just hope, I hope that continues because I think it will really help architects be able to communicate better if people have a greater awareness and understanding of what it's all about. So that's changing a little bit. Mm -hmm. Sustainability is an ever-growing force within the profession. And I think architects are really going to be caretakers of those goals within a project because we can implement them, we can design to sustainability goals. But also wellness is a huge... I, I don't even want to say trend because I feel like it belittles it now, but incorporating wellness more significantly into the spaces that we inhabit, that's going to be something where I think architects can lend a hand and go, this is all the research we have. These are how XYZ elements of design influence a space. And to get these results or to create these types of spaces, we're going to design it this way. And I think architects can shepherd those projects through with all of these elements that maybe we didn't consider before, back when it was, you need a roof and you need to be warm or cold and protected from the weather. Right. Yeah. I th and I think you make a really good point there because I think the more we become aware of people as individuals, I think the more we're going to, we're going to design things differently. And then even the products and buildings that we occupy right now are also going to have to change to accommodate different ways of living and working than we have in the past. So it'll be, I think it's an exciting time to see what, you know, see what, see what lies ahead. Mm -hmm. I'm very excited. And then for PR, how do you see that, that landscape changing? To go back to your question about the, the content, you know, there's so much content out there and I think we're going to see a return to a, you know, greater emphasis on not just the, you know, the quick image, but more on ideas. And I think that architects and, you know, other related professionals really have 
an opportunity to lend their expertise to a lot of the challenges that we're facing. So I, I hope to see that in the media, maybe that social media, in different venues, whether that's conferences, speaking. I'd love to see architects on TV be interviewed and talk about how they're helping solve some of our pressing problems. And to your point about sustainability, you know, architects have a lot to say on the topic of climate change. So I, I, I think it's happening a bit more and I'd love to see architects really be part of the solution and not the designers hiding in the corner and doing the pretty sketch, but really be recognized for the great talents and experience that they bring to the world. So I would like to see, and I think it's, I think we will see, you know, more of a return to some of these bigger issues. And you, you know, you mentioned thought leadership and less attention on the 140 word tweet. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I do think to really to really get architects into the conversation, they really need to be, and they are, you know, being tapped for their their big ideas. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of conversations, thank you so much for joining this one. This is just a great way to spread more information and really tap your expertise into a whole crop of people in AEC Industries that are thinking about all of these things of what does the next 10 years look like for me? How can I advertise my business or how can I talk about my projects or how can I move into that role? So I really appreciate you sharing. I I could just, I could keep talking forever. I, I love all of your insights and, and you have so much experience with so many different companies. So it's, it's really fascinating to hear your perspective. So thank you. Well, thank you, Caitlin. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Architect Debt. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to share it with your network, leave us a five-star rating and review, and follow us on social media. Reach out to the podcast directly at architectet.com. That's architectette.com. Join us in two weeks for our next episode. See you then.